Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But can words hurt? Join me as we explore the power of language. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Inscribing Inclusion. I'm your host, Jocelyn Armstrong. Today, I want to chat with you about the power of words. Many of us grew up hearing the adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The adults in our lives were probably teaching us this to help us avoid some of the stings that might come on the playground or even from other adults who would say inconsiderate or rude things to us sometimes even pretending to be joking or teasing and not realizing that those things could be harmful because we weren't physically harmed. It was probably sometimes believed that just let those words fly off. It's okay. And generally we, when we encounter people that we don't know or someone who says something rude to us in traffic or in passing, it's usually not that big of a deal because they don't really know us. So it is easy to allow that to just kind of brush off. But We also know that in workspaces, in organizational relationships and interactions, there are words that are said that can be hurtful. We know that in an age of social media, when within seconds, someone can send out a message sharing their views about any particular topic, um, even on a podcast, right? People can just say whatever they want to say, and they often think there are no consequences, and that even if they're mentioning a specific person by name, that that person doesn't really care because it's anonymous, Um, and they don't really know who's saying it to them, and they'll never meet that person, so it's no big deal. In comment sections, in news sites, and all other sorts of places, people will say some of the wildest things. And again, when there are strangers, it, it is easier to dismiss. But what if someone says something that is hurtful or that on its face seems okay, but always makes you feel a little weird around that person when you're at the office or when you're in your house of worship or when you're at your local coffee house or regular place where you do your hobbies, your your sports clubs where you play you know, pick up basketball, whatever it is. What happens when those repeated kinds of conversations happen in those spaces where you regularly find yourself? So today we're going to talk about terminology that we should consider using and try our hardest to use when we are talking to and about other people. We're going to explore micro and macro aggressions We're also going to talk about the importance of context, clarity, and truthfulness. And of course, I'll be sure at the end to leave you with one last thing. So let's walk down this journey of words. Will will you join me? When we're considering the words that we use, the phrases that we use to refer to other people, and just how we generally enter conversation and spaces, There are a few rules of engagement that I like to use. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I'm not going to sing for you, 
But we all know that the late, great Aretha Franklin spelled and sang a catchy tune about respect. Respect should be the foundation of human interaction. It has been stated by some that respect needs to be earned. I disagree with that. Every individual is deserving of basic human respect merely because they exist. Just because you breathe air means you should be respected generally as another human being. I am probably going to reference the Aretha rule quite a bit throughout this podcast. Listen, there is an adage about having two ears and one mouth, and it's very true. We should listen twice as much as we speak. Listening allows us to learn and it allows us to move through society as well informed as possible. Be curious. It's totally okay to ask questions of the people that you encounter and that you engage in conversation. Um, You will learn their preferences and their experiences and the lessons that you take away from these interactions will hopefully enhance how you continue to interact with that individual person and then with others as well. Read books and articles from various sources, watch documentaries, movies, listen to podcasts. There's a wealth of information available. I will share though with you uh, a valuable lesson that I learned from a friend of mine in relation to being curious. Uh, this particular friend was was leading a continuing education session and shared that she was open to a- to answering questions. Um, she shared how she identified in the world and that she would answer questions based on those identities that she presented to the group. But she cautioned those who were viewing this continuing education session to not think that just because they saw someone or met someone who identified like her, that they could just go about asking a ton of questions. She shared that it is best to get permission before you just start launching into a bunch of questions. And so I offer that to you as something to consider when you are being curious. Make sure that the person that you're wanting to engage with and ask questions of is okay with you asking certain questions or asking any questions at all. And if they're not, I'm sure there's someone who will have that dialogue and who will answer your questions. So when you're being curious, remember to employ the Aretha rule, be respectful. You have to also be okay with being uncomfortable. Um, In your learning journey, you're going to hear and experience things that are not familiar to you. And some of these things might make you very uncomfortable. That is okay. Um, We are not walking through this world necessarily as experts and no one's expecting you to immediately come in the door as an expert when you're entering conversations, particularly with diverse groups of people. So your your, your genuine interaction is what's most important. Learning is very important. And all of us will make mistakes along the way when we're engaging other folks and having some of these very interesting dialogues around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Embrace the lesson, apologize as needed, and keep going. Now that I've laid out the rules of engagement for you, I want to talk to you about terms that you will hear regularly in the DEI space. 
Um, also, as you're just you know watching the news and moving about life and interacting with people, you may hear these terms. Um, these are possibly terms you're familiar with from things that you've read or watched or experiences that you've had, but we're gonna cover them quickly to just kind of level set because as you continue to tune into this podcast, these terms will be used regularly by myself or my guests. And we might sometimes forget to explain them. We will try our hardest though to always give a definition and some context for the words that we're using. So I've grouped these terms by category. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. This is more of a primer just to get us started and the list will continue to grow. You are encouraged to go out on your own and seek some more definitions and learn some of the the terminology. But starting with race and ethnicity. Um, Race is understood by most people as a mixture of physical, behavioral, and cultural attributes. Ethnicity recognizes differences between people, mostly on the basis of language and shared culture. That definition of race and ethnicity is from Nina Jablonski, who's an anthropologist and paleobiologist at Pennsylvania State University. So again, race is understood to be a mixture of physical, behavioral, and cultural attributes. Ethnicity refers to differences between people based on language and shared culture. Race and ethnicity are often used interchangeably But as you can tell by the definition I shared, they're not the same thing. Um, Way back in the 18th century, anthropologists and philosophers uh, were talking about how to group people. And so they used race um, to group people to help them sort of understand how groups move through society. And one thing that has happened since the 18th century when anthropologists and philosophers were doing this and maybe even while they were actually in the process of grouping people, um, the information that they came up with regarding race um, has been used and misused over time. So keep that in mind. You may want to do a deeper dive on some of the anthropological and uh, philosophical reasoning behind grouping folks the way that they did. When you are encountering another person, I encourage you to ask that individual how they identify. Um, I have a distant cousin who is Japanese and African-American. And when you see this cousin, he very much looks like a Japanese man, or as we know, Japanese people to generally look. He has similar physical characteristics that we could ascribe to a group of Japanese people. His mother's African-American though. And so when he introduces himself, he is very clear about the fact of his dual heritage. And so he talks about both his Japanese father and his African-American mother. And so if you were to encounter this cousin, I would encourage you to one, just meet him, learn his name, and then ask him how he identifies if you have curiosity. I will also say that when we're talking about using terms and you are asking someone how they identify, make sure that that's what you use. Um, If you're representing, or if you're, I'm sorry, if you're referencing a group of people, um, 
say for instance, Asian individuals, understand that that continent is vast. And so you could be encountering someone who's Japanese, Korean, or Pakistani. And so when you're talking about Asian, if you say Asian, you're saying generally a group of people or some folks from that continent. But if you're trying to get very specific and there are instances where you need to be very specific, you need to say Japanese or Korean. Um, Don't just say Asian because sometimes it's important for us to be very specific. Another term that is used a lot is people of color. You'll see it written out sometimes as POC. Um, This is a term that's used to reference a group of non-white people from varied backgrounds. It is often a term that's used as sort of a shorthand, uh, but we have to remember that people of color do not all share the same identity or experiences. So when you're saying people of color and it's a group of 10 people, there could be someone who is of Latino or Hispanic descent, um, someone who is African or African-American or from the Caribbean or someone who is from Southeast Asia or someone who is from uh, an Aboriginal group in Australia, it runs the gamut. But the thing to notice though, is that when you say people of color and the group that I've just described from all those different continents and origins, they don't all have the same experience. They don't all speak the same language. They didn't all go to the same type of elementary school. And so what happens in that shorthand use of people of color is that sometimes people say people of color and they're referencing people of color, but they are not acknowledging the varied backgrounds. And they just kind of shorthand and keep walking, pretending as though all people of color do and respond exactly the same way. Be very careful not to do that. Another term that has become more prominent and that folks are becoming more aware of is BIPOC or B-I-P-O-C, which is Black Indigenous People of Color. This terminology highlights the unique experiences of Black Americans and Indigenous Americans among people of color. This is honestly a term that I was not immediately familiar with. I was reading something, I think I was on social media and I saw BIPOC written and I was like, I'm not sure what this means. And I did a little search and then thankfully was able to listen to another podcast um, that explored the terminology and gave me a broader understanding of what that means. And uh, the other podcast that referenced it is the Code Switch podcast that's produced by NPR. It's a great listen, um, but they had a whole episode about about the term BIPOC. It was very informative. Again, you'll hear this more frequently, and it is meant to recognize the, again, unique experiences of Black and Indigenous people among the broader group of people of color. But I'll say to you one more time, is that be as specific as is necessary when you are considering your audience in the conversations. So if you know that you are talking to a person who is identified as a black person and wishes to be called a black person, it is okay to 
say, you know, or phrase your questions or anything like that, asking about them as a black person. Um, it is okay for you to use the term African-American if that's what somebody has has said that they use in identifying themselves. You don't have to say people of color if you really mean black. You don't have to say people of color if you really mean uh, Mexican or Cuban. Just say what they've told you to call them or use that in the descriptor when it is important. Um, probably a good time to put in a bullet point of you don't have to introduce people by their ethnicity. There are times though when it will come in handy. There are times when it will be important um, to use a particular title based on ethnicity and race, but you don't always have to say like, this is Jocelyn, my black friend. It will be exceedingly obvious to people when they meet me who I am. Just use my name more often than not. Um, but there will again be conversations maybe where I'm engaged and identifying me as a black woman will be important because we're talking about some specific experience or some sort of statistic or something. Totally do that then. And again, always remember, just invoke the Aretha rule. Don't make assumptions. Ask, ask respectfully, and then respectfully use what you've been told and the information you've been given by the person or persons that you're encountering. Another area where we um, have different terminology or various terminology that is used is in gender and gender identity. Um, this is again, another space where you should ask how someone chooses to identify um, because what we see is not always how that person identifies. How someone visibly presents is not how they always identify. So consider the pronouns that you use. Uh, hers, his, he, she, them, they. Um, if anyone is using pronouns that are different than what you expect based upon what you see, they will usually tell you that in the world that we live in now with virtual meetings or when we're in person and everyone has name tags, there are many organizations that will put um, on the name tag or in the name plate, if you will, in the virtual meeting or on the email signature, their preferred pronouns, his, her, she, they, them. Uh, there are more, but those are the most common. Also in gender and gender identity, you are possibly familiar with LGBTQIA or LGBTQ plus. Each letter has a meaning, L being lesbian, G being gay, B bisexual, T transgender, Q is queer. There are differences um, sometimes upon who you ask about what the I and the A mean. Some people say it means intersex. Some people say A means asexual. Some people say A means ally and that you don't identify with any of the other groups before, but you're an ally of, of someone of those groups. Depends on where you are, depends on where you're getting your information. Uh, more often than not though, you will see the umbrella term of LGBTQ plus um, written out on different places. I would again encourage you to consult um, a website for an organization like Equality Ohio or um, the American Civil Liberties Union 
possibly just do a Google search. But again, understanding that depending on the source of the information, they may move some of those letters around. They may, particularly with the ending, they'll just use the plus and take off the other letters. There may be additional letters. Um, but again, if you're if you're speaking to someone and they're sharing with you parts of their identity, they will hopefully feel comfortable enough sharing with you how they identify as it relates to gender and their gender identity. Um, we know that scientifically there are terms that are used heterosexual homosexual gender non-conforming cisgender non-binary it's a lot to throw at you um, but we know that, again scientific terms heterosexual homosexual we learned that if we were learning the meaning of words in biology and what that means um cisgender is the gender that you were assigned at birth and you continue to identify with that gender or as that gender that you were named at birth. Um, Non-binary is someone who might be referred to as them or they, and they don't identify as male or female. They are just identifying as a person. And as we're talking about these terms and I'm throwing around these, these letters and we're talking about pronouns and how people identify, the one thing that I want you to remember is that whatever, or however, I should say, however someone says to call them, however someone identifies, and we're using terms and we're saying these are just words, remember that these terms are connected to human beings. So when you meet someone and they say, hi, my name is, pick a name, whatever you're, pick a name in your head, Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I use the terms them and they. Them and they. And you're looking at a person. They're telling you this. You're reading an email signature, and someone has their pronouns listed in their email signature. When you're using those pronouns, too, it's not just words on a page. It's not just an email. There is a person on the other side of that. So always, always remember that these terms are connected to human beings. And I will say it again, ask, ask, ask. Some people will prefer, will share their preferred pronouns. Um, some people might not. But if you need to know for a reason, maybe you're filling out a form or something like that, just ask or, or let them fill out the form and make sure that there's enough boxes on the form so that it's there. The question though when you're asking is not what are you? People are not what's, people are not things. The question is, how do you identify? Because that gives the person the power to tell you how they identify. Never a what though, because people are not what's. They are who, they are humans, they are not things. Um, avoid dead naming. Dead naming might be a newer phrase for some of the listeners. Dead naming is when there is a transgender or non-binary person in your circle and they are no longer using how they were identified at birth. So if you grew up with a person all through elementary school and that person was identified as him all through elementary school, him and he all through elementary school, and now you're an adult, you ran into this person again, and this person says to you that their pronouns are she, hers, then you use she and her. And sometimes you'll trip up a little bit because if you've known that person that long and you maybe were not their 
through them coming to the realization of their current identity as you see them now 20 30 years later um it might be difficult for you at first you know it's their name is different possibly and and all of these things so but try um you you will you will unintentionally sometimes just say the wrong thing but try but dead naming is when you're not trying dead naming is when you know full well that somebody used to be named Stephanie and now their name is Caleb and you keep calling them Stephanie like you're dead naming and that's on purpose and that's not respectful again refer to the Aretha rule so try if you have someone in your space that has a new name or is using different um, pronouns than what you are familiar with and tell them up front I'm gonna try to make sure that I call you by the right pronouns and call you by the right name and not dead name you um, is it's just being respectful. The other areas and spaces where we um, will have different terminology is when we're talking about um, cognitive diversity. And so cognitive diversity explores the world of people who have uh, different learning abilities in the way that they enter space, um, different ways that they process information that is sometimes identified by their doctor um, and their education professionals. And so in this space, we're talking about folks with autism or Down syndrome or um, ADHD and a variety of other things. And this impacts the way people process information by the way they take it in. And it's okay to acknowledge it um, you don't always have to talk about it when you know that someone is cognitively diverse, that their processing time is different or that the way that they approach situations is different. You just make space for how they need to learn. So if you're in regular interaction with this with this person or these people, if you are some way in, in some way in charge of their education or a social activity or their organized hobbies or whatever it is, find out the ways that work for them and make sure that you make space for that. You um, don't single them out to make them feel less than or weird because that's not accurate. That's not true. They're not less than or weird. They just process information differently. So if they need more time, if they need less noise, if they you know, need to sit off by themselves to do something before they come back to the group, whatever that looks like, just make that space available. If you are not equipped um, to handle those things, make sure that you consult someone who is. So if you need to talk to this person's parents or someone in their education team, because this person may be not just the kid that you're mentoring at scouts or what have you this person may be one of your coworkers, and so you need to talk to your coworker about how can we best help you you know navigate this space because this is what you might need ask and do it and again employ the aretha rule um the same thing goes with physical ability we will encounter folks that have different physical ability based upon how they see how they hear how they walk how they move about through life and one, this goes back to being respectful. 
but also making sure that you make space and that you are not overly confining them or that you're not not trying to do things for them that they didn't ask you to do. So if you have someone in your space who has a visual impairment, they will typically tell you when they need help to move about or not, and all visual impairments are not the same. If you have someone who hears, who has hearing loss or um, needs hearing aids or anything to help them hear, try to make sure that you set up a room or a meeting or that you set up spaces to make sure that they have access to the tools that they need. For some people, they have hearing aids and they're fine. For other people, they may need closed captioning. For others still, they may need American Sign Language interpreters. Whatever that is though, make sure it's available. Ask when you when you have the opportunity to ask in advance to make sure you do that. If it's someone that has a different, different physical ability in the way that they move about, be it using the aid of a cane or a walker or they just maybe need a hand, they will tell you and you can help them, but don't get in the way because if, if they don't need your help because they have they are accustomed to the space or they have a typical way that they move around that's most comfortable for them, if you help without asking, you're sometimes getting in their way and then you can get hurt, they can get hurt. So don't do that. And don't use, don't use derogatory terms um, I, I like to use different physical ability because that to me just says that they have a different physical ability and everyone has a different physical ability. Some of us can run a mile in eight minutes. Some of us can walk a mile in two hours, you know, um, and some of us have the, have to have the aid of equipment to help us get around and some of us don't. I, again, just like to use the word physical ability um, because it, it, it to me is a respectful term. If anyone has an idea about a different term, I'm glad to hear that as well. Um, but don't don't use things that might be considered derogatory. And again, always ask. Always ask how people want to be referred to. Ask how they want your help or not. It's totally okay. One more space where we have to consider terms and diversity is generational diversity. We are currently in a space where there are five generations represented in our workspaces. So from Gen Z, some of them have started working now, all the way to what was considered the greatest generation, which is the, the parents of baby boomers. All of these people are working every day. So you've got the greatest generation, you've got baby boomers, you've got Gen X, you've got millennials, you've got Gen Z. And we sometimes we'll just talk about people by their generation. That is fallacy because just because someone was born within a specific group of years, they have some of those characteristics because that's how they've been socialized. But be careful of one just calling anybody under 40 a millennial or um, just saying, oh, those millennials do this or those those Gen Z's are like this or boomers are like, you know, stodgy or whatever it is. Be careful not to do that because one, you are ignoring the individuality of the human that you are talking to. Two, when we make sweeping generalizations based on the generation in which someone was born, we are not always right. 
when we're trying to celebrate diversity and be inclusive, we have to acknowledge the fact that sweeping generalizations are dangerous. Um, Another thing is that by using terms or flippantly referring to people by the generation that they were born in during that specific span of years, you are sometimes setting the environment or setting an atmosphere that gets you dangerously close to ageism and stereotyping and discrimination against individuals in groups based on their age. You don't want to do it. Now, if you're at a seminar and you're trying to study the different generations and the impact that they've had on society and and how they show up generally in the world, then yes, you say millennial, you say baby boomer, you use these terms because you're trying to explain something from a sociological standpoint. But when you're just out in conversation and you're like, okay, boomer, because someone looks older and they actually are not, maybe they're just an older Gen X, um, you're being dismissive and, and disrespectful. And that completely flies in the face of and is antithetical to the Aretha rule. So that is the wrap up of terms. And again, that's just a highlight and a high level listing of terminology that you will continue to hear through this podcast. And as you continue to explore more, read more, watch more, listen more to other media outlets and other people in other spaces about diversity, equity, and inclusion, some of these terms will come up. So I just want to make sure you're prepared for what you might hear. Now I'm going to pivot and talk about microaggressions. Microaggression is a brief and commonplace verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignity, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicates hostile, derogatory, or negative attitudes towards stigmatized or culturally marginalized groups. To break that all down, microaggressions are the things that people say or do in interactions with people who are in groups that are typically stigmatized or marginalized based upon gender, gender identity, race, ethnicity, physical ability, or cognitive ability. The term microaggression was coined by Harvard University psychiatrist Chester Pierce in 1970. And uh, Dr. Pierce used microaggressions as a way to describe insults and dismissals that he regularly witnessed non-Black Americans inflict upon Black Americans. By the early of 21st, by the early 21st century, the use of the term was applied to the casual degradation of any socially marginalized group, including LGBT, those living in poverty, and those who have different physical ability. Contrasting a microaggression with a macroaggression, macroaggression is a large scale or overt aggression toward those of a certain race, culture, gender, religion, cognitive ability, physical ability. So a macroaggression is like yelling racial slurs. A macroaggression is yelling nasty terms about someone based on their gender or gender identity. Um, a macroaggression is very obvious and horrible like posters and things that may show up in public places 
and you're laughing about it or joking about it. Uh, a macroaggression is if you hang a noose or burn a cross. Um, that's a macroaggression. But microaggressions are like drops of water on a rock. They happen regularly enough and they seemingly are small and innocuous, but the, the person on the receiving end of it over time, it, it just wears them down and, and they, they feel a very interesting way about it. So for instance, if you are in a meeting or a space and you tell a black person that they are so articulate or that they speak so well, you're at a meeting at work. They're giving a presentation. Exactly how did you expect them to speak? That is a microaggression. Another example of a microaggression is if you are constantly mixing up someone in your workspace because you happen to work with two Latina women who absolutely look nothing alike. One is, you know, 5'10", the other is 5'4". One has shoulder length hair, one has a pixie cut. They just both happen to be Latina and you keep calling them each other's names. You're not confused. You're, you need to learn your coworkers' names. You need to call them by their actual name. Don't mix them up. You don't do that. That's disrespectful. And it's a microaggression because if you do every time you see an example I read somewhere, every time you see Alejandra and you call her Maria, you know, that's not her name. You know, that's the lady that works down the hall. Why, why is this so difficult? Don't do that. Another thing is if you meet someone and, and they happen to, in some conversation, for some reason, disclose that they are gay. The next thing out of your mouth shouldn't be, oh, you're gay. So is my friend Susie. You should meet Susie because Susie's gay too. Why do you assume that just because that is something that they have in common, that one that they'd want to be friends or that they'd want to date each other or hang out? No, that's just a thing that they both happen to have in common. That doesn't mean that you need to introduce them and try to make them best friends or try to make them a couple. Why? Do you, do you do that when you're like, oh, hi, John. Nice to meet you, John. John, heterosexual man. You should meet Amber, heterosexual woman, because you guys will make a great couple. Really? Do you know that? No. The question of where are you actually from? So you're engaging someone. They maybe very obviously appear to be from a certain ethnic heritage. Maybe they're wearing something or perhaps it's the color of their skin or anything like that. Maybe they have an accent, whatever that might be. And you ask them where they're from and they might say Cleveland. And then if your response is where are you actually from? That is a microaggression. If you want to know about their, their national origin or their race or ethnicity, because you're curious, ask yourself why you're curious. Um, it, do you need to know it for a specific reason? Or are you just wondering because you think that maybe there's something that you could learn from them about their personal experience be, being a part of a specific ethnic group? 
if you ask someone where they're from, they're from and they say Cleveland, then that's what you take. Cleveland is the answer. If they continue, if they choose to share more about their family background or their heritage, that's up to them. Um, but saying something like, where are you really from? Is a microaggression. Saying something to a person who has a different ability by saying, oh my gosh, you're such an inspiration for the way that you deal with your disability. And that is a microaggression. They are another human being living in the world just like you are. They just do things differently or move about differently because of whatever their physical ability might be. But that doesn't mean that they can't work or go to school or participate in sports or anything like that. We see it happen all the time. And so by making it seem like they're doing something that is so unusual or that you're so shocked that this person is showing up in your office, that's a microaggression. You can probably just keep that to yourself. Telling someone name, someone that their name is so hard to pronounce. We live in a world and we operate in society where people have a vast, um, there's vast language, there are many languages and different types of names. And I certainly find them to be very interesting because someone's name typically gives an insight into their family dynamic or a specific cultural thing. And so I like to learn the meaning of names in different, different cultures. And if someone shares that with me, I'm very excited. I try very hard to make sure I pronounce my colleagues' names correctly because your name is an important thing. Your parents gave it to you for a reason. And I you should not dismiss someone and say, your name is so hard to pronounce. You should try to say their name and pr pronounce it correctly. Ask them to help you. And don't say things like, well, you know, it's hard because I, I, don't, I don't know words like that. Or it's hard because you have a foreign name. That is a microaggression. Do not assume that um, someone of a certain age is not familiar with social media or technology. So if you're talking to an older colleague, for instance, maybe you're in your 20s or 30s and your colleague is maybe like 60, don't say something like, well, do you even know what Snapchat is? They might have, they might use Snapchat or TikTok or whatever the most current thing is. On the flip of that, also don't assume because you're talking to someone who's younger that they can immediately help you with social media or that they are whiz whizzes at it and have all the accounts because some people choose not to use it even if they are young and that's what people think that young people are always on their phones. So again, microaggression is just assuming that because someone is of a, is of an, a certain age group that um, that they're familiar with this technology and then you say it aloud, microaggression. Um, you might think you're com complimenting someone by saying, oh my gosh, are you an intern? You look so young. And they are a fully um, tenured professor at your institution. And they may be, I don't know, 40 or 50 years old, doesn't really matter. And we think by telling someone, oh my gosh, you look so young. It's a compliment. Eh, maybe. Maybe they get tired of hearing that. There's um, a judge that I know who certainly does not look as old as she is, if you will. She has a very youthful appearance. She is an entire judge and a very good one at that. And people will say things like, oh my gosh, 
Are you the intern or are you even supposed to be on the bench? Are you old enough to have run for judge? All of those are inappropriate things and they are absolutely microaggressions. And you hear it enough times and it probably gets to be really irritating. Um, One of the things that is probably a very personal kind of thing for me is asking women, particularly black women, is that your real hair? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Black women's hair is of a texture that it does many different things on any given day. Um, And it may be straightened one day, it may be curly the next, it may be augmented with um, other hair or not. But you could just say, I like your hair. Or you could say, your hair looks great today. Or you could say nothing at all. And that's the thing when when talking about these microaggressions. You can say nothing at all. You don't have to say anything. You can give someone a compliment or ask about their social media use or ask them about their childhood or ask them about their weekend without microaggressing them. You can absolutely do that. It is totally possible to give someone a compliment or have a conversation without using microaggressions. And I encourage you to, and as much as you can, avoid them. Before I close today's episode, I want to talk to you about the phenomenon of, that's not what I meant. Sometimes we use words that are offensive, inappropriate for the situation, hurtful. And when someone brings it to our attention that that's what we did, often the reflex is to say, but that's not what I meant. Or I was just telling a joke or you're too sensitive or you really know who I am. I'm not racist or sexist or ableist or ageist or whatever the ist is or the ism is. But yet you said that thing. The best thing that you can do is own it, be truthful, apologize, learn to use the right words, the proper terminology, learn to be cognizant of what's coming out of your mouth and not just saying anything Learn to be clear in your speech, to be honest in your speech. Be very aware of the context that you're in. There are things that you would not say in front of your elder relatives or the children in your space. There are things that you wouldn't say in the office or in a house of worship. Think about that when you're encountering people. And don't just say the first thing that comes out of your mouth. And if you happen to do it, because again, it happens to all of us. Our words get out ahead of our brains before we know what has happened. And maybe you say something and you don't think it's a big deal. But someone says to you, that was offensive to me. Or do you know that you just said that thing and you completely alienated like half of our work team by saying that? Own it apologize, correct it, but don't try to dismiss it by saying, oh, well, you know me, or I was just telling a joke, or that's not what I meant. 
Mm-mm. We have to, we have to own ourselves and our words and our stuff. And if someone brings something to your attention, acknowledge it. And then think about what that means about how you're going to continue to move forward and how you'll operate in space. There are also times when um, folks are called called out, if you will, or um, addressed because of something that they said or did, and then they feel attacked, they say, or they get very defensive. Think about why you feel attacked or think about why you get defensive if someone says that what you said or what you did offended them. Why, why do you get defensive? What about that makes you makes you feel uncomfortable or what about that makes you feel like you need to defend yourself especially if they're not yelling at you or they're not calling you out in front of a large group of people they may have pulled you aside and and are having a conversation with you about the phrase that you use and why that might have been a microaggression hear them out think about it and then maybe share with them that either you didn't know or ask how you can do something different, but don't immediately say, I feel attacked, especially if they're not like actually attacking you. Now, if someone is, has decided that you said something that was offensive or that you were a microaggression, you expressed a microaggression and then they are yelling back at you, that's a little, that's a little different. And that's not how we help grow and learn together. But again, Consider your words, consider the context, consider if you've been offensive and be willing to learn from that experience. We have come to the end of our time together for this episode and I thank you for joining me on this journey of words and language. Before we go, of course, I have to leave you with one last thing. This is my favorite segment of the show and this episode's one last thing is a quote from author and activist Rita Mae Brown, who said, language exerts hidden power like the moon on the tides. Thanks again for joining me. In the meantime, in between episodes, I encourage you to follow Inscribing Inclusion on Instagram, follow Inclusion Pod on Twitter. If you feel compelled, to send me an email, that's inscribinginclusion at gmail.com. And I ask that you hit the like or follow button on the app platform or the app where you're listening to this podcast right now. You'll get alerts when new episodes drop. Uh, so in the meantime, thank you again for joining me. Be safe, be healthy, be well, and I'll connect with you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.